CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where each and every week, dear audience, you know this, but just to remind you, two things. What are those two things? Relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. And as you have noticed, no doubt, still working from home. For those of you who are not, for those of you who are on the front lines, we wish you all the best. Stay safe. Know that we rely on you and we appreciate you. The rest of us are staying at home, working from home trying to keep on the right side of this continuing COVID-19 curve. Uh, In some states, that's going well. In some states, that's going in the opposite direction. Our guest this week, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. Senator Manchin, great to see you. You're working from your office in the Senate Hart office building. It's great to see you virtually and great to talk to you. Thank you, Major. It's good to be with you, as always, and enjoy your show very much. Thank you. So let's start... Uh, audience, we're recording this on June 24th, and I want to talk about something with the Senate that just happened this day, which is a vote on the Senate floor not to proceed to the Republican-sponsored legislation on police reform. Senator Manchin was one of the Democrats, another was Doug Jones of Alabama, and then an independent Angus King voted with Republicans. All the other Democrats voted against it. What that means is in the Senate, for the time being, this legislation is dead unless there is some resolution created by both parties. Senator Manchin, explain your vote and tell us where you think we are on this. Well, you know, I can understand the caucuses, basically their positions they're taking. Uh, As a Democrat, we have to understand we're not in the majority in the Senate. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are. He sets the agenda and he sets the tone. So he put the bill up. I wish the bill would have been worked through the Judiciary Committee. It was not. That means that there should be a process on the floor an open amendment process where amendments should be able to be made since we didn't work it in committee. A lot of my, uh, my Senate uh, caucus Democrats uh, pushed for that, was hoping that would happen, but then they have lack of trust that he would actually do an amendment process. I just, I felt uh, because of Tim, uh, um, Tim Scott, a dear friend of mine and Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are three African-American uh, senators, hopefully they would get together and bring us all together and work it out. And they did for a while work on this, but then it went in two different ways. So Tim being in the majority of the Republicans, that was the bill they were going to use, the, we call it the underlying bill. I, I thought it'd be hard pressed for Mitch McConnell not to have an open process. I thought since he had said he would do it and he said there'd be amendments, I wanted to see if he would. And I think it's a, it's a debate we have to have. We have to have a debate on, on basically chokeholds 
and all the different things and, and, and qualified immunity. And the things that basically right now is kind of the poison pill from whatever side you may be on. And I thought that would be a good debate. We'd all be educated and learn a lot for those of us, especially don't sit on judiciary because we wouldn't have seen that debate happen. Right. So that's why I voted for it. And I thought it was time that we do. And I, I've always said this major, if I can't explain it back home in West Virginia, I can't vote for it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't explain not voting to get on the bill because I'm not sure if that bill is going to come back. I don't know if it's a high priority for Mitch McConnell who sets the agenda. And that's what I was concerned about. So I thought we better take advantage of the time. And I didn't want the perfect to be the defeat of the good. Mm -hmm. Understood. I want to play a soundbite since you mentioned Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, She was on MSNBC earlier today and was informed of your intention to vote with Republicans. And this is the process upon which she was informed and her reaction. I want to get your assessment of it on the other side. Plans to vote yes on the procedural motion. Let me get your reaction to that from Joe Manchin. I'm not going to vote yes. I'm voting no. And I'm, I'm following the recommendation of hundreds of civil rights organizations, including the NAACP, um, the, the, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. The, I mean, just I could go on down the list. We should vote this down, this Republican bill, which is empty, which is a shell, which is lip service with no teeth to an issue that the people marching and shouting by the thousands in 50 states of the United States of America are are calling for and demanding of their government. Senator, was the Republican bill an empty shell that only gives lip service to those people who are marching in the streets? I've talked to Tim Scott on this because, you know, I'm thinking Tim would have as much concern as interest as anybody. Tim is the one who's informed me that he'd been stopped as a U.S. senator entering the Capitol. He talked about that on this very program uh, many months ago. Yeah, and and Major, so I'm thinking I have all the respect, but I'm not sure if that was held back from uh, the leadership of the Republican or the White House or whatever. I know the president, uh, the president uh, basically did an executive order on establishing national standards uh, for law enforcement. and that wasn't in Tim's, but it, Tim thought that was the executive order that, that the president did. There were some things I would have liked to have seen, but Tim was open to debating and voting on amendments. So even if his bill lacked some of the things, and, uh, and I will say that Kamala's and Corey's bill was much more detailed mm-hmm. and explained explicitly, but the thing that gave me heartburn on that bill was one thing, which was a qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. I had all my police forces around the state of West Virginia said, Joe, if you do away with that explicitly, then basically we're going to have a hard time keeping the people we already have, let alone attracting anybody else into law enforcement. For my audience that may not know it as well as you do, Senator, what is qualified immunity and why is it a concern of your police departments? Well, the police department qualified immunity and basically uh, the way the courts have invoked this is pretty much police are doing their job to protect society. So they're not going to bring civil suits and very seldom ever criminal suits. And that's why you see most of them that don't get convicted. So now there's a, we're trying to set a procedure of how you should police the type of, of lethal force or non-lethal force that you should or should not use. Uh, the training that should go, uh, continuing education, if you would, uh, on racial matters, people need to know, and we have to do a much better job. I'm told that we're a country that does least, the least amount in a most civilized country as training of our police officers, but we put them out in the, 
into the streets. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more that can be done, but unified or qualified immunity, basically it's carte blanche to basically do whatever you think is necessary in a police situation. Right. And, and we is- seen, we've seen that, you know, because of the telecast and all the, everyone with the cameras now, we're seeing that that didn't make sense. And when you had the situation that we have with George Floyd for the whole world to watch, no matter who this person is, no matter what color their skin may be, and have the person that administered that lethal blow, putting his neck, his knee on the neck, doing it in such a nonchalant, this is my job, what the heck. It went through me like I know every American. Is the idea of getting rid of qualified immunity a deal breaker for you in any legislation going forward? Well, right now, Mike Braun from Indiana has a compromise. And we're looking at it, how you have a hybrid of this. We want protection. We don't think lawsuits just because you said that he might have handcuffed you too much or this or that, that you can sue for every little civil incident. But basically, in recourse, when there's criminal actions, the police officers, and basically it's caught with the, with the mandatory body cameras that we can verify. You don't have to worry about someone being close enough to take a video of their own telephone, but basically being able, able to have recorded and then be held accountable. And when there is unjustified lethal force, they will be held and not be protected by qualified immunity. Understood. Uh, sometimes when you have a procedural vote like this, it's a shock to the system and everyone reassesses. Is that what you think are ha- will happen here or is this debate over in the Senate? Let me tell you, that depends on Mitch McConnell, one person. If he truly wants, you know, and this is where the, this is where the calculation of my Democratic colleagues, my caucus, the majority of them, except for the three of us, because I thought, I'm not sure if Mitch McConnell really wants this piece of legislation. It's a good messaging thing for him now to be able to say, hey, look there, the Democrats didn't want it. They don't want to help policemen. They don't want to protect. They don't want law and order. And we're the party of law and order. Well, wait a minute. That's not the case at all. So if he wants it, it'll happen. Understood. That's the voice of Joe Manchin, Senator, West Virginia, Democrat, our special guest this week. Stay tuned for segment two of The Takeout coming up in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Our special guest, a Democrat from West Virginia, Senator Joe Manchin. Senator Manchin, continuing our conversation on the legislative future of policing reform, I want to play you a soundbite from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to our CBS colleague, Steve Futterman. And she was talking about the Senate Republican bill, and the language is pretty harsh, and I want to get your reaction to it. Arden, play that, please. For something to happen, they're going to have to face the realities of police brutality, the rallies of the need for justice in policing, and the recognition that there are many, many good people in in, um, law enforcement, but not all, and that we have to address those concerns. Uh, So when they admit that and, and have some suggestions that are worthy of consideration, but so far they were trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. Get away with the murder of George Floyd. Uh, you talked a moment ago about the lack of trust and uh, give and take. I'm gathering from your perspective, rhetoric like that doesn't help. It makes it makes. I have all the respect for Nancy Pelosi. I really do. Get along fine with her. She's worked with us and helped us on pensions for our minors and health care for our minors and so many other things we've worked on. 
But on this, we just have a difference. They passed a piece of legislation or they will pass a piece of legislation uh, that basically would have been something to go to conferees on. Conference, yes, a conference between the House and the Senate, right. Yeah, but we sat down, we call them conferees, and you look at the two different bills side by side and work out what one will accept, one will concede to this, one will basically win on this, one will compromise on something else. And that's what we hope that it would happen, but that rhetoric makes it difficult. Uh, these officers that are going to be held for the murder of, uh, of George Floyd will be held accountable and will be punishable by the law as extremely as anyone should, no matter whether they're a police officer or not. And uh, so with that being said, uh, again, you know, we've got good people who have knowledge. Tim Scott, Corey, Gar- uh, Corey Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, these are bright, intelligent people that understand the system. And we've got to look at and put the politics aside, Major, and get to the crux of the bill that we can work. Mm-hmm. Other than just messaging, one was a bad bill, one's a good bill, my bill's better than yours. I will say the Democrat bill was much more intense as far as subject by subject ad- ad- addressing everything humanly possible. The chokeholds, uh, you know, uh, lynching a federal crime, hate crime. Right. It goes on and on and on. And these are all things that should have been debated. Why had we not? Unless you, I thought we had a perfect opportunity to debate it in a grand stage such as the U.S. Senate floor. But do you think Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell now has what he wants and he can move on and move on feeling he's won the politics of this moment? I would hope that that's not the case, but I would be. But what do you fear? I would be surprised if it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mitch is a tactician. He's able to get the best spin on this humanly possible. The Democrats would not even move to debate the bill when he said, I will give them amendments. Well, if you're willing to give them amendments and you're willing to do everything you say you're going to do, Mitch, why don't you put it back in the committee and work it the way every bill is supposed to be worked through the committee equally. So that's where the lack of trust, but I was willing, I said, this is such an important issue. It's, it's what we're facing today. It's what's dividing our nation even further. Why wouldn't we try to get on it? I just had a different, I couldn't right. home to West Virginia explain it. Understood. I want to ask you, since we raised an issue with you about Nancy Pelosi's rhetoric, I want to play you a soundbite from the president from this week. He was in Phoenix. And it's about this larger issue of what's going on in the streets of America. Not just people protesting and raising their voices, but some of them going after monuments or statues. Some of them trying to create so-called autonomous zones. And the president has put together some very sharp rhetoric about that. I want to play you a soundbite and get your reaction. They don't love our country. The left is not trying to promote justice or equality or lift up the downtrodden. They have one goal, the pursuit of their own political power for whatever reason, but that's their goal. That really seems to be their goal. Their goal or their sickness. And if you give power to people, that demolish monuments and attack churches and seize city streets and set fire to buildings, then nothing is sacred and no one is safe. Nothing is sacred and no one is safe if the left wins, Senator Manchin. Well, first of all, there's no one, no one should absolutely anyway all uh, uh, be able to contend with the violence that's going on. We should not, that's not who we are as a nation major and, and uh, you know I, I would I would I would implore everybody 
who believes that's the only way they can get their message across, to read the words of Martin Luther King Jr. concerning violence. Take time to read. Just Google it and read it. It'll tell you. It gets you nowhere, but it gets you worse off. It prolongs the agony. You, anyone who's curious can start uh, with a letter from a Birmingham jail. That's exactly correct. And I, I have it, and I've read it today. I just was on a, a pod with a bunch of students, and we, had a, we, we call it Hurt to Healing. And we do it every week, a Hurt to Healing in different groups. So uh, it's just something. But uh, on this, you can't have the leader of the free world continue to espouse division, you know, to where it's, it's all one side's fault. You know, when I became governor, I was the governor of everybody. Democrats, Republicans, people voted for me, people voted against me, people didn't vote at all. Take an oath of office. And leaders don't do that. And I wish the president, I, I, I just think it's horrible to continue to blame. It's just the left. These, these people that are doing what they're doing and defacing, and they might be just common criminals. They might not be in a movement. I can tell you how proud I am in West Virginia. We haven't had that violence. We've had good communications. We're learning. You know, I never knew what, uh, I just have, we're gonna have another pod about basically uh, black police officers, what they're going through. Do they get different duties? Are they treated differently? I just found out recently from Reverend Ron English, who basically learned from Martin Luther, he was a uh, Martin Luther King, junior and senior was his mentor. He lives in West Virginia now. And he was telling me, he says, you know, black, black officers couldn't arrest or, or charge a white person with a crime. Had to get a white officer in order to do it if it was a white criminal. I never knew things like this. So right. Major, we're all learning. But you have to, I mean, my goodness, as a country, we have to come together. And people that want to talk about the monuments, Google Robert E. Lee. See what Robert E. Lee said in 1869. As a civilized, I mean, there's no way in the world as a civilized country that basically under civil discourse that we should ever memorialize or honor any of this that caused the civil discourse. He didn't want any monuments. That all came about from Jim Crow. Right. And, and as, as a result of that observation, should monuments to Confederate officers or quote-unquote heroes be taken down and relevant to the National Defense Authorization Act, that's the NDAA, you made a reference to it before, that's going to come up, should existing U.S. military facilities with the names of Confederate officers be renamed? Well, let me just tell you, that came up in the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, yeah. every year, you know that has, it has mm -hmm. to be done to defend our country. And my dear friend, Tim Kaine, he's, yeah. I want to explain to you, he says, I used to be the mayor of the seat of the Confederacy, the capital. Richmond, yes, Richmond. right. I was the governor of the state of Virginia, which was the home base for the Confederacy. So he says, I never really knew until I started looking and thinking. In 1869, he says, read this one, uh, one sentence, Robert E. Lee, he says, he says he, Robert E. Lee wrote that he thought it was wiser not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife. That was Robert E. Lee. And you can read all you want to about Robert E. Lee, and there's never any way that he ever felt there should be any statues, any memorialization, and any type of naming of our military bases after a person who was part of the civil, civil strife. Right. So, yes, I think the changes are, we've got some good names and some good people, if you want to name them after some honorable 
God-fearing, God-loving people from West Virginia. We got some good names for you. Right. You could be Medal of Honor <laughs> recipients. I mean, that's been suggested. Medal of Honor recipients. Who else? Who could be better qualified? Absolutely. As an option. As an option. Wow. Not the only option, but one option. Wow. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, is our guest. Stay tuned for segment three coming up in just a second. There are accusations that President Trump was the victim of a some kind of political coup attempt perpetrated by the Obama administration. What do you think about that? Oh, that's crazy. Totally crazy. I don't know who stays up all night thinks of this crap. From CBS Audio, this is The Takeout. And now, from the Sokolov Law Home Studio in Washington... Here's Major Garrett. Welcome back. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, is our guest. Uh, Senator Manchin, also today, we're recording this June 24th. And also, I want to say hello to all of our great radio stations around the country, more than 70 of them. Also, hello to Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. And, of course, podcast platforms. You were there first and our audience on CBSN. So, Senator Manchin, you are talking to a vast array of Americans through so many different platforms when you come on the show. Um... Federal court today said uh, the Michael Flynn case should be thrown out. It's not probably the last word, but it might be near the last word. Your reaction? You know, I I know Michael Flynn uh, because Michael Flynn was a general, basically, and I'm on armed services. We work very closely. I always liked Michael Flynn. I thought he was a great general, a great guy, easy to work with. I don't know what happened after he left and went and then they started, I think, with uh, President Obama at that time, Mm -hmm. working with him. And something happened there. Got sacked from the head of Defense Intelligence Agency. Yep. And it just changed. Something changed. So I can't speak to that at all. Do you think he got railroaded? Do you think there was a miscarriage of justice here, as the current Justice Department asserts? Well, the Justice Department has a way of making you say things you don't want to say or don't really believe. But I I really can't speak to that. But he did admit that he lied. In open court, voluntarily. He said those words. I'm not lying to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you lied and you said you lied, that would be kind of hard for the Justice Department to make that kind of make you say something such as uh, such as that when it didn't, it's not the fact. So I, I I would say once you've admitted to something and now because of uh, the pl- politics involved of the day, if you will, and that seems to be what it is, mm-hmm. uh, pretty hard. Pretty uh, hard. As you no doubt are aware on social media and even in the voices of some of your Republican colleagues, there are accusations that President Trump was the victim of a some kind of political coup attempt uh, perpetrated by the Obama administration. What do you oh, think about crazy. that? What do you think totally about that? Crazy. I don't know how I, I can't put any other. No, uh, I, I would never. No, totally just, crazy. That would not happen. Major. I, I just don't see that whatsoever. And I've never seen all these. Uh, these theories, these, these hypotheses that people have. I don't know where they come up. I don't know who stays up all night thinks of it. I think that I think that covers it. Any reaction to John Bolton's book? Did it tell you something or does it reveal something that you didn't already know about the inner workings of the Trump White House? I haven't gotten the book. I've been reading, uh, I mean, what you all been publishing. I haven't had a chance to sit down with it. And uh, uh, not surprising, you know, the, the whole thing just... That's disheartening. The trial that with impeachment trial, and for John Bolton not to come forward and says, "Go ahead and sue me. You have to sue me, and this and that, uh, to get me to come, or I'll sue you if you uh, subpoena me." Yep. Remember that. And then the House said that's the reason they didn't bring him forward because they didn't want to go through that lengthy battle. For him to take that position and be able to be openly about that at the time it happened, 
and now to take the position and look at it because it was all about the selling of the book. It looks like that basically he's prophetizing on it and not sincerely concerned about the country. But does it surprise me things he said? No, not at all. It does not surprise me. Uh, the validity of it, I think he's willing to stand by that. I think his credibility has been weakened greatly by not rising to defend the country or protect the country, looking more about protecting his bank account. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the status of COVID-19 in West Virginia right now? Well, we have, I think as of this morning, we had 92 or 93 deaths, which is 92 or 93 too many. Uh, and uh, we're doing more testing now than we had, and thank God for that, because at first it showed that West Virginia was like an island that we were not affected. Well, we weren't affected because we weren't testing anybody. Nobody knew anything. That's exactly. So that when the president says, just quit testing, yeah, the numbers will go down. Uh, hospitals won't be emptied, but the numbers will go down. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But right now we're being very, uh, trying to be as cautious as possible. Uh, we have a good group from WVU Medicine who's been speaking up and basically advising, such as CDC does, and Dr. Fauci and all mm -hmm. them. We have a lot of people aren't paying attention to, depending on different parts of my state, seem to be more, uh, more alert to what uh, safety should be. We have, we've been identified as a state with the most vulnerable population. I was going to ask you about that. Because of, our, because of our age major and underlying conditions that they have, health conditions, hard workers, respiratory yes. problems, and age of community. So I've been pleading with them, please, don't go out. If you don't have a family member that can shop for you, We'll send someone. So we have a 211 call. It, 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 it calls into the Red Cross and all the different support agencies we have. We'll have someone do your shopping for you. We're doing everything we can to support them and those who should be staying in. So you've got to give that element of support. And we have a very rural area. My state of West Virginia, we don't have one city over 50,000 population. Not one. So we're basically a wonderful state of made up of a lot of towns and a lot of rural areas. And people do look after each other. So we're hoping they adhere to that. But they don't wear the mask as much as they should. They're having, but they're very cautious about opening up. So we'll see how mm -hmm. it goes. When you were governor, you had a reputation for speaking compassionately in times of distress for your state, but also speaking bluntly uh, in ways that your constituents could understand. And uh, you'd sort of not be shy about uh, peeling the bark off if you needed to. Um, there's, an old saying, there's an old saying back home, Major, you can't shine crap. <laughs> So I wonder, two questions. In your state, has there been this, quote unquote, backlash against facial coverings, masks, like you're suppressing my rights to my own liberty? Have you had that sort of debate? And when you talk in that blunt way about the importance of all these mechanisms, social distancing, mask wearing and the like, how do you phrase it back home? Well, you know, I tell people absolutely adhere to it. I try to. Uh, and I do as, the best I possibly can to make sure if I go out, I have a mask on. Sometimes I have forgotten I'd run back to the car mm -hmm. and get it. Things of that sort, because you're just not used to everyday life of that. But it is important for us. It's important for all of our employees that we're asking to go back to work. See, I think every employee, that if you're asking a person to open back up, go back to work, you should be able to test. You shouldn't expect a worker to go back into work environment to where there might be someone infected or had been infected, or maybe still is, and we don't know. They should be, they should have all PPEs. We've asked people to open up their, uh, their, their parlors and salons and uh, hair care and all this. Yeah, we have, as dentists, we had dentists asking them to open up. 
and they couldn't even protect them own, themselves with the mask and all the gowns and things they needed. So if we're not prepared to do that, then don't be prepared to open up as if nothing happened. And if you're going to do it, then make sure if every, every, every business ought to have the right to say, if you're going to shop in my store, you have to have a mask on. So if, if you don't want to make it mandatory, then let the stores decide. Let the people shop to where they think they are protected. Making sure that I think that the market will drive that. Politicians are afraid to stand up and say, I'm taking your rights away, put that mask on. Well, I want to save your life. I'm recommending you put the mask on. I'm going to put my mask on and I'm going to go into a store that I think is protected as, as they are, want me to be protected. So that basically is just the, the market forces and it should be done. Understood. I want to play a soundbite from the president, also from his speech in Phoenix on this topic. What is or is not happening with COVID-19? Arden, play that, please. And it's one of the reasons we did so well before the plague and we're doing so well after the plague. It's gone away. It's gone away. Is that right? Well, uh, not in West Virginia. <laughs> not in Florida, not in Texas, not in California, not anywhere. No. I, you know what? I, I don't know. I can't even, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that, Major. Uh, but does it complicate things for some of your constituents in West Virginia? Like the president, Joe, what are you talking about? What are well, you hammering the, me about the mask? The president said it's gone away. He still has the, one of the highest popularities of any public official in my state. Right. Well, they like that. They like that kind of rogue uh, type thing. But I'm going to tell you now that the economy is not what we thought it was. It was not as resilient as we thought, and it hasn't come back the way we think it should. And with that, it's not going to come back until we have a vaccine or an, or an antibody that works. You can't. And if you're not willing to give me the protection and test me as much as I need to be protected and tested, if you want me to open up and do back into the workforce, uh, then don't tell me just it's gone away and I'm okay, everything's hunky-dory, because the... Uh, the rates of infection are going up. The people who are contracting this are going up. And the summer heat has not taken it away. And I'll tell you, it's been hot in some places of West Virginia, and it still hasn't gone away. That's the voice of Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, our special guest. Stay, t- stay tuned, rather, for segment four of The Takeout in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Working from home, as you can see. The dining room studio, uh, my apartment here in Washington, D.C. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, is our special guest. Senator, continuing the COVID-19 conversation, uh, West Virginia is a landmark university. It's a pride of West Virginia, your state. There are many other colleges and universities. What are your ideas and attitudes about is this going to happen in the fall? Kids going to come back? Are colleges going to be able to function in a recognizable way? I think, well, I think they're, they're going to do everything they possibly can. Just from the standpoint of survival, unless we're willing to put more money into education to help them through the most difficult times, they're going to have to do everything they can. I understand WVU's planning on coming back. The football program is basically they're practicing. They had one, I think there was one reported uh, player that was positive. They shut things down. They're doing tracing, doing everything, precaution. They're testing. They're doing everything they can to be safe. Uh, putting 16,000, 70,000 screaming fans uh, in a stadium uh, could, be a, a, could be a stretch. Uh, will the, will the uh, television revenues carry 
the financial end of it. Or they'll have to all make some adjustments. But I don't think a lot of the schools, and especially some of the smaller schools in all of our states, will be able to survive if they don't get people back on campus or some form of a sports program is not able to be observed or watched or participate in. The other variable there, you just mentioned it. Could there be extra support from the federal government? Uh, There are those, Senator, who are writing articles right now. I read one last night in The Atlantic saying the coming Great Depression, meaning that all of the initial assistance, the CARES Act and other things, bipartisan, rapidly done, kind of, I think, history will look back on that period of time as remarkable legislative functioning. But that stuff's expiring sometime in the near future. Will there be another tranche? Should there be another tranche? Does there need to be another lifeline to get to keep this economy afloat for another six to 12 months? I, I believe, Major, there will be, but it won't be what you saw the first tranche, the first CARES Act we had. I think the CARES Act, they were trying to get money out, $2 trillion out the door. Yep. It's difficult, very difficult to be done in an orderly passion that people don't take advantage of. We had people returning billions of dollars mm-hmm. that should have never gotten right. it. We have other people that took it unconsciously and kept it and could care less. Yep. They didn't need it. And some who so needed we, it who never got it. That's exactly. Can we do a better job? Absolutely. Should we be able to target it? Yeah, but I don't Our sense any urgency around that right now, Senator. On well, the there doesn't seem to be any urgency from the standpoint. Let me tell you why. You would have thought we came back to the United States Senate two weeks early. The last time we came back uh, uh, two weeks early, House wasn't even in. Mm-hmm. You would have thought coming back two weeks early that we would at least put committees together to start evaluating what's worked and what's not worked. Right. Bring different people from government in, tell us what's working. Unemployment, okay, PPP, all the different things we tried to help. We have over $400 billion that no one's borrowed from the large corporations. You know why? They didn't want to be held accountable. They didn't want to be able to not to have stock buybacks or give big bonuses to their corporate leaders, so they wouldn't take it. They went to they went the conventional way. So rather than putting more money, can't we redirect that money? Right, it's just sitting there. That's exactly. So we, we need to look at that and be smart. But there's no one serious. We don't have a committee doing it. That's what's awful. So we're going to try to get some senators to do it on our own without any formal committee. We have to. Who's to blame for that? Pardon? Who's to blame for the lack of committee and lack of, lack of urgency right now? Is that another McConnell thing? It comes down to leadership. It really is. McConnell has, it's a shame. I don't know how the power all ascended uh, in, in uh, the Senate or in Congress uh, to the top two, three, four, five people. Well, you know the answer to that. Part of that is committees don't function the way they used to, and committee chairmen don't raise hell like they used to. That's a shame. It really is. You know I'm, I'm right I'm, about that. Absolutely, you're right. You you understood when the process worked. You was here when the process used to work, and it could work, and it could go back to that again. But uh, but also, when you look at what the Congress... But, but committee chairmen have to be able to tell their leader to step off. That's exactly right. You have to be able to speak up. And sometimes... And make a stick. Pay the price. Mm-hmm. If they're going to throw you off, then basically go to the caucus and say, listen, I was thrown out because I spoke up. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I You know... I have a good relationship with Chuck, and I get along fine with Chuck Schumer. We have, we have our agreements, and we have our disagreements, mm-hmm. and we're able to do it in a civil manner. We can raise our voices and everything, walk out, and we, we move on. And he knows I'm going to be very independent. I come from a state, the Montani Semper Libera. Our mountaineers are always free, and I exercise it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president tweeted this week uh, something to the effect of uh, millions of mail-in ballots will be printed by foreign countries, and the election is rigged. Um, That's another crazy statement. Why? Come on. We've been doing mail-in. I mean, most of the country's been doing mail-in. We just started in West Virginia, and we, and we have a Republican Secretary of State that's embraced it. 
Many Republican states, secretaries of state have actually. Absolutely. But I'm saying we never had mail-in before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absentees, we did some of that, okay, with people very sick. Uh, But now it's basically common. And it's going to be common. I don't think we're going to go back the other way. And I am not. I am not basically concerned that it's going to be a rigged election. I've seen and heard of rigged elections when they used to have to come and vote. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you concerned about the president's rhetoric, though, and what it may mean to those who support him? Well, what it does, it, it, it sets it up for turmoil if, if uh, in November he's defeated. And the transfer, orderly transfer of power of this country is always, I would like to think that his true patriotism will come true and come through, that he understands the orderly transition of power that people have spoken. It's a democracy we live in, the Constitution, the way it was written, and we abide by. What's your? And I'm hoping that happens. I hope these people don't get in a fever pitch, and he throws gasoline on. You think that's a fifty-fifty proposition or worse? I don't know, Major. On that, I like to think. That, you know, deep inside, I understand. And I would like to think and understand that the president understands that that the country and who we are is, is bigger than him, even though he hasn't shown that. And I know that people. I mean, I'm concerned. I'm more worried about our democracy than I've ever been in my country because he espouses division, but all he knows, uh, you know, reality TV, and he's done well in his ways. He's never had a public company. It's always been privately owned. He's been able to call all the shots and answer to nobody. So it's a big transition, uh, but that's where Congress comes in. That's where the three branches of government have to stand stand tall. And uh, I'm thinking when people think we're down and out, don't count out Americans, we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Have, has your relationship become estranged with the president? It has. Uh, it, it must have been because I haven't heard from him since I voted for the impeachment. But I voted based on the facts. I didn't want that to happen. And I was waiting for a vigorous, uh, vigorous defense. And the only defense I heard was from Orsowitz that said that, Orsowitz said that basically he's the president and do what he wants. And where I come from in West Virginia, no one's above the law. No one's better than me. And I'm sure, heck, not better than anybody else. And it just went through me. And I never heard anything that basically would dis- disperse that from not being where uh, they really truly set up their defense. And I thought it was wrong. And I thought it was overwhelming what had happened and that there was interference. And you can't tell me that a brand new president of Ukraine, and he's trying to please because he's trying to protect himself and needs the weapons that we've given him. But, with all, but also the president has given him uh, lethal weapons to defend themselves which they've been reluctant before. So mm-hmm. there's nothing that seems to make a lot of sense from time to time, except when it comes time to the politics, which him never being a politician before, the president, the only thing he knows is to play the game the way he's always played it, do whatever it takes to win. Mm-hmm. That's the voice of Joe Manchin, our very special guest, Democrat Senator from West Virginia. For our radio audience, sadly, we have to say farewell. But for those on CBSN, on the podcast platform, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. Back in a second. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, the fun and games portion of our conversation. And Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, is with us. Uh, Senator, we have three questions we ask everyone who is kind enough to join us on this audio odyssey of ours. So, uh, and our audience loves the answers because it's uh, kind of a 
insight into who we're talking to. So, in no particular order, uh, most influential book in your life, uh, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you are going to indulge yourself musically, what artist or genre are you going to listen to? Well, where do you want to start? Uh, wherever you want to, Senator, your choice. Well, first of all, movies. Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> we've gotten that we've gotten that uh, uh frequent frequently frequently and i just read a book about the making of animal house very revealing well i mean that's i was i went to college in 1965 i started freshman wvu mm-hmm. right i can relate to all everything you saw in animal house i have observed okay okay in the senate uh cloakroom right no 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 <laughs> now, now the one that brings the most joy to me is pink panther mm-hmm. the original with peter sellers oh, peter sellers pink panther yeah, kind of. I just, I, don't, I just love that that slapstick humor. Okay, and as far as the uh, just uh, Pearl Harbor and Midway or two, I love, I love, I love those those movies have been wonderful to see who we are and how we how we sustained and, and been able to come through something like that. As mm-hmm. far as books, there's so many moving books and so many historical books. But I, I want to speak about right stuff about Chuck Yeager because I know Chuck mm-hmm. Yeger very well. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant book. He's dear Tom Wolf. He's a dear friend of mine, and we talked about in detail all the things and how he went through and everything he saw in that movie was very accurate because he was there uh, just to be, put the accuracy to it. But, He's a West Virginian, correct? Oh yeah, Hamlin, West Virginia. Yeah. And his biggest thing, how he got picked, and why you know, and things that he wanted the extra twenty-five dollar pay. <laughs> Incentives matter. Yeah. Back then, and they got rid of the high high price when they had before. From the from the Boeing company, or the mm-hmm. one you know, and put Chuck in there, and he knew that if he didn't break the sound barrier that day, he'd lose that check. <laughs> so by God, he kicked all four rockets at one time, and told Bob Hoover, "Start taking pictures, Bob, because I'm coming by." <laughs> so I heard all those. That's, that is great. One, another one is Homer Hickett, and I'm speaking about my state of West Virginia. Homer Hickett, mm-hmm. Rocket mm-hmm. Boys. Okay. Okay. If you October Skies, a movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I know the area well. And if you saw mm-hmm. the area today, you would never think that that type of intellectual should, could, could come from an area that's so poverty ridden today. And they're just wonderful people. And I mean, it's just unbelievable how a coal mining community around a coal mine and his father, but have the teachers that pushed them to dream that they could do something. That was, and, and it's just, that was just something. It, it just mm-hmm. spoke about the quality of, of, of the people that we have in our state of West Virginia. So right. those are favorite ones. Music. Have you ever seen the movie Mate One? Oh, Mate One. I've, I've been to Mate One. I've seen the bullet holes of Mate One. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal yeah. movie. If you haven't seen it, folks, I highly, highly recommend it. It's and a beautiful, intense, deeply moving movie. But movie. But as far as uh, music, I, yeah. I like all types of music. I mean, from Frank Sinatra, Michael Woodblay, you name it, I like it. My favorite artist, Jackie Wilson. All right. <laughs> How's that? That's excellent. Oh, that's a good dancing um, music. My wife and I like to dance. Uh, one last thing before I let you go. Does Joe Biden have any chance of carrying West Virginia? Well, I would like to think so, but they say the odds are long and hard, and it's an uphill fight. Better chance than Hillary Clinton, though, right? Well, don't, have to do, don't have to prove a whole lot there. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a high bar. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, do you consider him the odds-on favorite in the 2020 election? I do. Why? Here's, here's my advice. The only thing I've said to this. I think if Joe Biden, when he picks his VP candidate, could also pick his basically advising team, his advisors, his kitchen table, the people that's going to be with him. 
Joe mm-hmm. Biden will be the first one to tell you. He's been to the seat of power. Not one person can do it. They have to have good people around him. I believe that Joe Biden will put good, solid citizens, Democrats and Republicans, forget about the politics, put the most articulate person, the most knowledgeable person, and he'll listen to them. And if he can put that team and show the American people, this is how we're going to govern. This is how my administration, and these are some of the people that I'm going to be counting on to give me good, sound judgment from experience and knowledge and vision. That'll do. Uh, Senator Manchin, always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate your time. You've been uh, quite generous. Thanks so much, and we'll see you around the Capitol. Thanks, Major. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.